Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM, and we're about to get into our Bible study. Before we do, we have the 400-point question for the day. Lawson, go for it. All right, for 400 points, what man described in Acts as, a f- as full of faith and of the Holy Spirit was one of seven chosen to relieve the, po- the apostles of waiting tables? I t- if you hadn't read this story before, you'd maybe maybe you'd be confused. You'd be like, "Wait, man, what's the deal? Why is this in the Bible?" But it is an epic story, and this is an epic person. I'll read the clue one more time. What man described in Acts as full of faith and of the Holy Spirit was one of seven chosen to relieve the apostles of waiting tables. Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call for final points. You can win a book from our selection of bargain books, or you can continue to get your points on the board. You work your way through the quiz. But again, that number was zero four. Four nine one zero six four six six nine. All right, moving to text messages. We just got this one came through. The New World Order has been caught again using footage of the bombing of the Middle East war for their propaganda machine. Not the first time this has happened, nor the last. And it's interesting that uh, we now live in a day and age where pretty much you can manufacture uh, whatever kind of footage you want. Yep. You know, there's some interesting uh, manufactured footage getting around on YouTube that I've sort of looked at of the war in Ukraine and gone, oh, that's pretty spectacular footage. And then you find out it was created on a uh, computer gaming app. It's like, <laughs> that That was disappointing. That was, yeah. Because what was the last occupation that happened between Russia and the Ukraine? Like in that Crimea. Sp- Crimea. Yeah, there was like all footage of Crimea coming out, but it was like just from a computer game. It's like, look, they're shooting down jets. But then it was just like... Oh, this is Flight Simulator. Like, yeah, that's hectic. Yeah, so anyway, that's uh, something we need to be very aware of. It's very, very difficult in today's world to really know what is going on anywhere because we're kind of getting told just mm. whatever. Everything. There's yes. one place where you can go to for truth. There that's, is. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. You <laughs> will never go wrong reading the Bible. We're going to spend some time reading the Bible this morning because it is truth. It has always been truth. And something that has you know stood the test of time over thousands of years mm. is a pretty good place to go. And it gives you a lot of confidence in going there. Mm. So we're going to go to the book of Hebrews, and this is going to get more and more interesting. Yesterday we had a fascinating study looking at Hebrews chapter 9 and the mistake that Paul made, which was not a mistake. Mm-hmm. It just Why? Well, because it reveals the depth of his knowledge and understanding of the judgment. Wow. And the fact that the judgment must take place in the most holy place mm. and that it must take place before Jesus comes back. And then Paul knew this. Session. Paul understood this. Mm. And Paul just outlines it right here in Hebrews chapter 9 in the clearest possible wow. way. There. Amazing stuff. And the, and the bizarre thing is that, you know, when people want to attack the concept of, you know, judgments t- taking place in the most holy place, and did I say holy place or most holy? The most, most holy most, place. Most holy yeah. place, yep. Most holy place. Um, or they want to attack the, ju- the the concept of the judgment taking place before Jesus comes back or whatever. Or just the sanctuary in general. They'll, they'll often go to Hebrews 9. Yeah. And miss the whole point yeah. of what Paul's actually saying here in Hebrews 9. Mm. You know, this is a guy who understood the sanctuary and, you know, its services. And we think, you know, we know so much about the Bible these days. You know, we've got thousands of years of theology behind us and, and, and in gaining and increasing in our understanding of the Bible. And Paul knew it all way back then. Wow. No, that's such a funny point. Like, we've got thousands of years to reflect on of theology, and it's like, look where it brought us. Like, Straight back I, to where Paul was. Yeah, but even, like, in the 
in, that's in the good sense, but in the bad sense, like we were just talking about, you oh, know, yeah. the, just the absolute misconceptions within the Christian world. And I, we're not talking about like, oh, just people who don't know about the Bible. We're talking about people who claim to be, to represent, you know, and, and know what the Bible says and then say all kinds of things like, I don't know, Russia's the Antichrist or something crazy like that. So, yeah, it's... uh. It's pretty clear that we can't rely on our own knowledge. We need to go to what the Bible says. We do indeed. So we need to uh, have a look at what the Bible says here mm. in Hebrews chapter 9. And we're going to work our way through a number of verses as we do so. So let's begin uh, Hebrews chapter 9. We got up to, I think, verse 4. Uh, so let's pick it up in verse 5. And basically, he, Paul starts Hebrews 9 by giving us an overview of the sanctuary that is on earth, the temple on earth, and the furniture that was in it. Mm. Okay, go for it. In Hebrews 9, which verse are we in? Let's start in verse 5. In verse 5, the Bible says, Above the ark there were cherubim of divine glory, whose wings stretch out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties, but only the high priest entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he offered the blood, uh, he offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people they had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place has not freely opened as long as the tabernacle and the system it represented we're still in use. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. We've got a few things that we uh, we need to go through here as we dig into our Bible study. Um, in verse 6, you know, he saw, sorry, in verse 5, he finishes talking about the furniture for the most part mm-hmm. and starts to move on to the surface of the sanctuary. And it's interesting how he says, you know, we don't really have time to dig into all of this. Mm-hmm. He's there's like, just way too much here. Go read the Bible. Yeah, go, read, go read the way the Bible. too much here. Mm. Uh, but then he goes on and he starts to, you know, summarize the service. Uh, the priests went always into the first uh, tabernacle. It says in my translation into the uh, into the holy place mm. uh, in Hebrew, the Hagia, the holy place. Um, and then it continues on and it says, but into the second, the Hagia Hagion. Holy of Holies or Holy Holies in Hebrew. In the second, the high priest went once every year, but not without blood. Mm. And so we need to understand what is taking place here. The time that Jesus goes, or the time that the priest, I should, goes in, into the most holy place is only once a year. But he goes in there with blood. Mm. Can't go in there without blood. And there are two ways in which he does this. One, of course, is with the blood of a bullock that is sacrificed as a uh, a sin offering, and the and showing that intercession continues. We talked about this yesterday that intercession continues while the judgment is taking place. And secondly, with the blood of a goat, and the blood of the goat was the symbol of the cleansing of all of the sin that was in the sanctuary. Mm. And so uh, the sanctuary is God's way of getting rid of sin, and of course, you know the the, the Bible outlines how this took take, how this took place. Now, what's interesting is that in your translation there, it talks about sins of ignorance. Yes. Okay, so how then do we deal with sins that are not sins of ignorance? Have you ever committed a sin where you knew it was wrong? Yes. Yes. Like a lot. Yes. <laughs> I think I think we're all in that boat together. And I think as you become Christian, the more Christian you become, 
the more you realize like, wow, like as in, you know, you weren't, you like my experience has been not being a Christian, then becoming a Christian. And so not being a Christian, like all your sins are ignorant because you don't know it's wrong. Right. And then as you become a Christian, you realize it's wrong. And then it's like, all right, well, I'll stop doing it. And then you don't. And then you're like, wow, I actually sin and I know it's wrong. And you really reveal it's like, wow, this is the human condition. Yes. I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't do it. I know it's actively hurting my life. Yet I do it anyway. I have a problem. I need God. I rarely, very, very rarely share things on Facebook. Yeah. But I did share something the other day. Wow. Uh, there was a long, narrow slit trench, mm-hmm. you know, one that you'd, you'd lay a pipe in, mm-hmm. and a sheep had fallen into the into the slit trench face first. Oh, I think I've seen this video, yeah, right? A it's a video. Yeah, a bunch of people have shared it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A bunch of people shared it. And it's me when I've been falling into sin and there's this person pulling this sheep out by the back leg, you know, yeah. and it's like Jesus pulling me out by the back leg and it kind of hurts and it's painful and awkward and uncomfortable. And then, of course, the sheep gets pulled out of this uh, this narrow slit trench and goes running off. And it's like me when, when, when Jesus rescues me from sin. Ah, oh, if you rescue me from this sin, I will never do it again. Sheep goes running off, does this massive leap to get across this tiny little slit trench and lands bang smack straight in it again. Yeah, wow. Well. I'm like, could you get? And and then it says, also me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> could you get any better picture of humanity? Mm. And so we need to recognize this about ourselves and about humanity, and understand that yes, uh, there are challenges that we we, we face as you know mm. as. As, as human beings. And here the Bible just talks about sins of ignorance. There's a mm. lot of sins, that, the vast majority of sins that we commit are not sin, sins of yeah, ignorance. Yeah, so if we, if this is only for sins of ignorance, then how do we, how do we repent of yeah, sins? Yeah, what about actual, like, what we might call real sins? Yeah, yeah. What about how sins do we that those? I did that I know? Are we just done for? Is that it? Yeah. Oh. Well, we've got a couple of text messages we're going to look at, and then we're going to talk about sins of ignorance versus sins of knowledge. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Okay, so uh, this is a text message here without a name, but anyway, what doesn't matter? Why do Christians find it so hard to publicly say who the Antichrist is? Why is this? Ooh, okay. There's a, I guess there's a few different routes you go down, go down. The first one, they don't know. That's like that's the primary reason. That's like that the, the primary reason, reason why Christians don't do that. And and the point that I made earlier is because of a lot of like Christian eschatology is based ah, this, around this, this one idea. Was from Freco. This is from Freco. Oh, from Freco. Yeah, yeah. A lot of Christian eschatology is based around the idea that we can't know who the Antichrist is right now. We just we just have to guess because yeah. it'll be real revealed right at the end. The the Bible doesn't share yeah. that actually. It's very clear on who the Antichrist is. But I think the first one is that they don't know and they feel as though they can't know. And, and, you know, it's almost like, you know, God says, I'm going to pour out, you know, wrath without mixture, un- undiluted wrath on anyone who worships the Antichrist. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Yeah, you're going to guess. Know, you're going to guess. God is not like that. Yeah, that's right. God tells us exactly very, very clearly who it is. The second thing is, uh, for Christians who do know, mm. there can be a reticence to say who the Antichrist is. Mm-hmm. I don't, I know exactly who the Antichrist is. Same. I could I could name the Antichrist right now, but I don't always do it. I do from time to time right here on Faith mm-hmm. FM on the radio, but I don't always do it. And the reason why is this. It's a big call. Mm. And it is not something that should be done without giving justification That's for right. why you are doing it. That's right. 
Because if you do it without giving justification for why you are doing it, you actually are doing the devil's work because what you are doing is you are uh, creating misconception in the world because people just think, oh, this person's a loony. Yeah. But if you give justification for it, and if you go, okay, here's 10 identifying characteristics the Bible gives for who the Antichrist is. Boom, 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 you know, just work your way through it. And then you don't even have to say who it is. It's like, okay, that's what the Bible says. Mm. Who is it? And they all go, uh, oh, it's oh, okay, that's mm. who it is. Because it's so plain and it's so simple and everybody gets it. Mm-hmm. So there's no great secret as to who the Antichrist is if you look at the identifying characteristics. But you should not state who the Antichrist is without giving the foundation. That's right. Because that does a disservice to Christianity. Well, it does a disservice to anything. Like if you make any claim about anything, like without giving evidence, without giving evidence, like people are going to like not believe you. Like this is the point. Whereas the this is this is the huge point. The Bible has given us a tool so that we can know. Like and and therefore we don't have to give anyone this impression that we're just guessing, which is the impression that a lot of the world gets of Christianity. It's just like, oh, these guys are just guessing when the end of the world is, and they're guessing who the Antichrist right. is, and they're they're guessing of oh, you know, how the world came into being, but they don't really know. No, we have evidence. We know. Present the evidence, and then you don't even need to name the Antichrist. I've I've done this Bible study so like a many million times. times. Yeah, I, do. I don't know how many times I've done it. And every time I come to the to the end, I'm like, okay, let's just look at the identifying characteristics of the Antichrist, right? Yeah. And you just go through them, go through the list. Yeah. And I usually go through ten, uh, because it's a nice round, you know, number. And so I go through ten uh, identifying characteristics, and I say, and then I just say to the person, okay, you tell me who it is. And and I have never had anyone who has not gone, oh, it's. Yeah, and name it themselves, and I never have to name it. And you see, like uh, you know, I, I've preached this sermon before, I've given these Bible studies before, and you just see like people who you know haven't known this before, like they mm-hmm. and they come to that conclusion, they're just sitting there, and it's like eyes wide open, and it's like we can know, like we can, it's so clear, and it's yep. like, and it, and the words come out of their mouth, and they're like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's like. That's just what the Bible says. So, guys, if you want to know, 0491-064-669 is the number to call, and we will hook you up with some Bible studies, and you, then you can know. Okay. Uh, the text message here, have been preaching it for over 160 years. There are more people out there that have there are more people out there that have a pretty good idea. This is in relationship to the Antichrist. It's not that the Pope hasn't been in the news. <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 just sliding that in there, I can see. Uh, let me just see here. I've got a text message here I missed. Okay, oh, here, we are, here we go, this one. Uh, the meteor 10 kilometres wide and 180 kilometres wide creator. I wonder what atomic power that equates to. Well, it actually happened as we have the physical evidence. This is not what the Bible teaches. Now let's see what. And who are you going to believe the word of God or fallen human being is actually guessing? And who has preconceived ideas taught in universities today who reject God? Yeah. Will science save you or will God save you? The choice is yours. That was such an incredible point by John Ashton. Like yes. I was like that that just like you know, I've heard lots of John's work, I've read his books, like I, I rate the guy so highly. But yeah, just you know, no, I, I've heard, you know, th- these different arguments that he's made before and I'm always like on board. But yeah, he's like well, if a meteor hit the earth and wiped out the dinosaurs, why didn't it just wipe out everything else? Why didn't it wipe out lizards? <laughs> why didn't it wipe, wipe out, out crocodiles and bees? And like, oh, I was like, that is just such a genius point. Like, 
Uh-huh. Why do we see all these things? Like, why are there why even animals? Why do you every tropical creature that there is? Because yeah. if, if a meteor hit and turned, you know, created an ice age and the tropics vanished and there was no such thing as tropical things, why do we have tropical animals and why do we have tropical plants today? Mm. Yeah. It's just like, uh, for, because like, well, the, the assumption is like, if a, a meteor hit that big, it would be like this catastrophic event that would like destroy the whole world. Like, why are we here? Why is anything here? That's my question. But if a meteor like that hit during the flood, yeah, then that just adds to the catastrophe that's already taking place where you have all of that life that is preserved inside the ark. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't have to be surviving outside. It's surviving inside the ark. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That's right. All right, let's uh, get back to our Bible. So where were we up to? We were talking about, let's go to Leviticus chapter 4 and let's read about the sin offering here because the Bible talks about sins of ignorance and a lot of people get really freaked out. I'm going to freak everybody else out this morning. How about that? Yeah, I'm kind of already freaked out, but that's just because I'm sitting near you. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, a dangerous, I'm a dangerous man. Okay, Leviticus chapter 4 is where we are heading to. And Leviticus oh, chapter so 4, good. for those of you who are wondering, is the sin offering. Yeah. And it kind of starts with the sin offering. It says, like, if you're a priest, this is the sin offering you bring. If you're a ruler, this is the sin offering you bring. And it works its way all the way down to, if you are a beggar, this is the sin offering you bring. Mm -hmm. There's a sin offering for everybody. But let's start here in uh, the beginning here. uh, And chapter 4 and verse 3. If the high priest sins... Bring guilt upon the entire community. He must give a sin offering for the sin he has committed. Whoa, whoa, sorry, sorry, sorry. My bad. Verse 2. Verse 2. Verse 2. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. This is how you are to deal with those who sin unintentionally by doing anything that violates one of the Lord's commands. Okay. This sin offering is for sins that are done how? Unintentionally. Unintentionally. Notice what it says in my translation. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel, if a soul shall sin through ignorance. Mm. Okay, so let's think about this for a moment then. If you take some of the big sins in the Bible, let's say take, for instance, King David who commits you know, rape, murder, and adultery. Right? It's pretty full on. Uh, this is pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. Do you think he did that unintentionally? <laughs> no. Like, it was... Consciously, oh, I accidentally evil. had sex with Bathsheba. No, it <laughs> doesn't happen. That just that never happens. There's not any scenario in which that happens. Oh, Rachel and Leah. Let's not go there because <laughs> I don't understand that. <laughs> this, this, there's, there's something going on in that story that, uh, you know, four thousand years of um, history has left in the darkness. Yeah, we, but let's just stick with David and Bathsheba. Literally, we, we left know in the darkness. <laughs> 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 but let's stick with David okay, and yeah. Bathsheba because we know that David didn't accidentally have sex with Bathsheba. Yeah. That was not an accident. He yeah. did not do that unintentionally. Mm-hmm. It was not through ignorance. He did not wake up the next day and go, oh, I didn't realize I committed adultery. I didn't realize adultery was wrong. Mm. Okay? He knew. <laughs> he knew. And the Bible says here that the sin offering is for in your translation, unintentional sins. In my translation, is that the bar is raised, raised even higher for sins of ignorance. Yeah, well, because unintentional would be like, I. What, what, what do you see the difference is there? Unintentional. unintentional is where you accidentally do something. Sins of ignorance is where you didn't even know. You didn't it was even wrong. know. Yeah, yeah it's wow. It's a much higher, much higher standard. Wow. Yeah. 
And so there's no sin offering for what David did. Mm. How does he get forgiveness for his sins? In fact, David specifically states the fact. He understands this. Uh, and, he, and he says, if you go to Psalms chapter 51, which is his psalm of repentance for that particular sin, uh, he knows exactly that what, what is going on here. Um, let's read verse 16, Psalms 51, verse 16. You do not desire a sacrifice or what I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. So notice what he says here. God does not desire a sacrifice for what he did wrong. Why? Because there is no sacrifice for known sin. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. This mm. is The Breakfast Show, and we're about to have the big one, the 500-pointer. Let's see if you can answer this one. For 500 points, what miracle occurred in the heavens the day Joshua and the Israelites defeated the armies of the five kings of the Amorites? What miracle occurred in the heavens? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. Uh, and for 500 points, our prize today is the book as light lingers basking in the word of god by nina atchison it's easy to fill our lives with all the important things while subconsciously dismissing the most important thing spending time with our loving god who wants to be close to us which that is a perfect like yes amen uh and this book is all about that coming closer to god basking in his word 0491 what heavenly miracle happened the day that joshua uh and the israelites defeated the armies of the five kings of the emirates okay fantastic stuff well, we were just reading in the bible when we were considering uh king david and uh his affair with bathsheba the, his sin with bathsheba and of course there's whole bunch of sins that were committed there that we could mm. uh, that we could potentially go into and talk about but noting that this was not something he did either unintentionally or through ignorance yes he sent his servants to get Bathsheba mm-hmm. and to bring her to the uh, to the palace mm-hmm. so that he could have sex with her uh-huh. it was that simple yep uh, this was not something that she had a choice in because uh-huh. he is the king there's no there's no consent involved here. You can't yep. give consent when there is no opportunity, no opportunity to give consent. Uh-huh. And the Bible says that she was innocent. That's mm. what the Bible says. Go remember that. So it's pretty full on what David's doing here. And uh, here in Psalm 51, down in uh, verse 16, it says, "For you delight, you desire no sacrifice." Yeah. By the way, if anyone's wondering, it's like, oh, well, you know, that's a questionable situation. He then also like killed her husband so that he could get away with yes. it. Yes. Because she got pregnant. So just just want to throw that out yes. there. If anyone's thinking, oh, that's kind of a questionable situation, she could have consented. Well, let's not even focus on that because the reality is then then he just killed her husband as well. So I think he was pretty in the wrong in this one. Pretty in the wrong. Yeah. Pretty in the wrong. Okay. Uh, verse 16, the Bible says, For you do desire not sacrifice, else I would give it you delight not in burned offerings. The reason that David says this is because there is no sacrifice that he can bring for this sin. Mm. He can't go and offer sacrifice and get forgiveness for that sin Mm -hmm. because God hasn't invented a system of indulgences. If God had invented a system of indulgences, then David could have gone, you know what, I want to have sex with Bathsheba. I want to have an affair with this woman because she's pretty. And so therefore I will, um, it's going to cost me a lamb. But I'm the king and I'm wealthy and I've got lots of lambs. Mm. And what it would do, it would create a free license to sin for wealthy people, uh, and to and less wealthy, you know, poor people wouldn't be able to sin. Mm-hmm. It's just like <laughs> the whole thing becomes absolutely ridiculous mm-hmm. when you provide a sin offering for known sin. Mm-hmm. 
And so God only provides a sin offering for sins of ignorance or sins that are committed um, unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Now, then the big question comes up. Does that then mean that David is excluded from forgiveness for his affair with Bathsheba? Mm. And are we all excluded from forgiveness for doing sins that we know are wrong? Well, that's the simple reality. Mm -hmm. Because if David is excluded from forgiveness because there is no sacrifice that he can bring, then we all are also excluded Excluded. from Mm. forgiveness because there is no sacrifice that we can bring for the sins that we have committed. Mm. All right, so... Uh, We need to think about this, and if we go to uh, Psalms 51 and read the next verse, the Bible tells us exactly how you receive forgiveness for sins that are known sins, that are not sins of ignorance, that are not unintentional, that are not mistakes, they're not things that you've fallen into, things that you've intentionally done. What does the Bible say in verse 17? In verse 17, the Bible says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Absolutely, and Freco has just nailed it on the head here this morning. He says, David saw himself as a sinner and was truly sorry. That is what saved him. Mm. As text of the day from uh, Freco today, we'll mm-hmm. give that one to Freco today because that just summarizes that summarizes verse seventeen, verse per, verse seventeen perfectly. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Mm-hmm. David received forgiveness for his sin in exactly the same way that we receive forgiveness for our sins. The sacrifice of the lamb was a demonstration of how God deals with all sin, Mm -hmm. both intentional and unintentional, but it only provided for sins of ignorance. Mm. Uh, Paula says, God never gives us fake news. Only the devil lies and deceives. Absolutely. That's why we are reading the Bible today. Mm. Okay, so let's go back to Hebrews uh, chapter 9 and see, yeah. where, where do we get up to, Ali? I think we read up to verse 8. Okay, let me just find it here real quick. Hebrews chapter 9 and let's just uh, go down to... We read to verse 8. Yeah, let's, well, let's, let's summarize. We've, we've, we've looked a bit over here. The Holy Ghost was signifying that the way into the holiest of all that's the most holy place, was not yet made manifest while the first, first tabernacle was standing, wow. which, was a figure of, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Mm. Okay, so why can't a gift and a sacrifice make somebody perfect uh, as pertaining to the conscience? Uh, be, because they're just literally symbols. Like They're just, they're just things. Like. Yes. Like, yeah, they, they, you know. They're just symbols. They're just symbols. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So they're just a shadow. Uh-huh. Yep. It's not the real thing. Only Jesus can make you perfect. Mm-hmm. And only Jesus can uh, die for you. All right. Uh, okay. So mm-hmm. oh, there's, a, there's a follow-on here. Uh, uh, Kim says this. Sorry, Kim says this. Uh, or I think this is a follow-on from what Freco said. You know, David saw himself as a sinner and was truly sorry. That is what saved him. Kim says, as opposed to Saul, who did not repent. Wow. Well, actually, I'm going to take I'm going to take uh, exception to that. He did repent. Did he? Yes. How so? So 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 Saul goes to the Amalekites and God uh-huh. says, "Wipe out the Amalekites." Uh-huh. So he wipes them out, except for when he saves like the you know, king Agag, the king, and, and like all, all of their, his stuff all of their, all their that staff looks really and, good, and all their flocks and herds and so forth that God yeah. said to wipe out. Uh-huh. And Samuel says to Saul, oh, 
Where did all this come from? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. The people did it. Uh-huh. And by the way, I've got Agag with me, the king of the Amalekites. Uh-huh. And Samuel says, why have you sinned and taken all the spoil? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. It wasn't me. It was the, it was the people did that. Yeah, they were hungry. They yeah. wanted stuff. You know, what was I going to do? Oh, we, and, them? and we're going to use them for sacrifice. Yeah. yeah, this is, yeah God's <laughs> going to like this. We're going to use them for sacrifice. And then Samuel says, no, you've sinned. Mm. So, so the first time um, Samuel's like, why did you sin? And he's like, oh, not me. And then the second time Samuel's like, why did you sin? He's like, oh, not me. And then Samuel says, okay, uh, rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft and because you've sinned, the kingdom will be taken from you and given to a neighbour of yours. Mm. And Saul says, oh, I've sinned. Mm-hmm. So he repented, right? No. <laughs> like, like, no, like obviously not. Like the point... Of the, the, okay, so you're saying that Kim is actually right. Yes, of course. Because because repentance is that, like, in a, in a literal definition sense, it's like turning away from and being genuinely sorry for... Like, it's being genuinely sorry for the action that you've committed by turning away from it and, and like, doing everything that you can to restore, you know, what you've done wrong. You know, so Samuel the prophet comes to Saul. Yes, Nathan the prophet comes to David. Uh-huh. Do you remember David's words when Nathan prophet points to David and says, you're the man? He's like, I've sinned. I've sinned. Yeah. And the very next words that Nathan says is that God is going to forgive you. Yeah, that's right. God forgives you. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Question of the day. All right, Lyle, our question of the day today is, what do you think Jesus meant when he spoke about fruit? What is the fruit in Matthew seven fifteen to 20? Okay, so you got fruit of the Spirit, which is spoken about in other parts of the Bible, but we specifically want to know about uh, Matthew chapter 7 here. Uh, if we go to Matthew chapter 7, we can start reading pretty much in verse 15. The Bible says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, uh, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth good fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth Sorry, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Somebody wants to know what are these fruits. Okay, so there's a couple of observations that we can make at this particular point. And the first is that you don't always need to go too deep into and too specific to understand and to learn lessons from this. So if we simply look at it from an agricultural perspective and we look at the fact that and we are simply ask ourselves the question, okay, what is fruit? What is fruit in an agricultural perspective that you know Jesus is presenting right here? And fruit is fruit are things that you can see. You can see the color of fruit. They are things that you can taste. You can taste fruit to taste whether it's you know sweet, sour, bitter, or otherwise. Uh, fruit is something that you can smell, so you can see, taste, smell, touch. You know, fruit. Fruit is something that you can experience. And so, broadly speaking, you can say, okay, what can people experience about you? What do they see in you? What do they taste? What kind of a flavor do you have when you are in this world? So this is the the broad picture of where we can look at ourselves and we can ask ourselves, okay, what kind of fruit are we presenting to the world? And so as a as a result of this, that's what we need to think about 
very specifically. Now, if we go over to Matthew chapter 12, there's another passage over here where Jesus gets you know even more specific about this again. And we find down in verse 33, uh, Jesus brings up this concept of the tree again. And he says this, Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. So this is Jesus repeating the same thought again. You are the tree, you are known by your fruit. All right, he continues on. He says, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And so notice that Jesus moves on straight away in from talking about fruit that we bear as a tree to words, the words that we speak. He goes on, verse 35, A good man out of the good treasures of the heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of the heart brings forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word, notice here, the focus is, is on words specifically, that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment, for by their words you shall be for by your words you shall be judged, and by your words you shall be condemned. Okay, so here's what we've got. Broadly speaking, fruit is what people can experience in relationship to you. What can they experience? Can they experience uh, what, what what do they see when they see you? What do they taste? What what's your flavor in the world? Very broadly speaking, that is your fruit. Very specifically, Jesus says, people are going to experience you by the words that you speak. Now, of course, words can be both uh, audible and you know inaudible. We can speak through our body language and so forth. But what kind of a message are we communicating to the world? What is the truth of what we are speaking? Are we speaking the truths of the Word of God, or are we speaking? You know, are we are we corrupt in the doctrines and the teachings that we are bringing to the world. And so the Bible, yes, very specific here about the words that we speak. May our words always be the words of truth that come from the Scriptures. Which brings us to the end of the program. And, of course, don't forget, if you'd like to know who the Antichrist is, then also give us a call, 0491 Do the prophetic code course, and you'll find out exactly who it is. Don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you'll grow strong in Jesus Christ. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.